Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On Tuesday, December 13th, five forest defenders were brutally arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. Atlanta Police, DeKalb County Police, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and the Department of Homeland Security raided the forest occupation that is defending 300 acres of land against plans for development, including a tactical training ground for the Atlanta Police Department and a new Hollywood soundstage complex. Forest defenders called for a noise demonstration at the DeKalb County Jail in solidarity with five people arrested during the raid. Dozens of protesters amassed near the facility by 8 p.m. that evening. Sheriffs on foot lined the perimeter of the jail as a choir of 20 voices, a dozen drums, two guitars, and a cello, and various handheld noisemakers approached. Jail administrators peered down from the office windows as protesters tossed smoke bombs on the road and chanted, 1312, we are all here for you, and no forest, no peace. As demonstrators flashed lights, lasers, and binoculars, inmates inside the jail waved out to the street. Inmates in the jail who have also been denied access to water and medication joined the protest by lighting mattresses on fire and breaking windows from the inside. One forest defender said, There's nothing that evokes such a feeling of solidarity. All the people at the windows, even though we are strangers to one another, we felt united in our determination against crude imbalance of power and systemic injustice. This is not the first noise demonstration at DeKalb County Jail. At a noise demo in 2019, protesters entered the jail and fought the police. At another demonstration soon after, prisoners smashed over a dozen windows and threw down mold to the protesters, revealing the horrific conditions inside the jail. One of two state prisons in Folsom is still getting failing grades for the healthcare it provides to inmates, leaving it among the institutions that remain subject to oversight from a federal receiver. The institution, known as California State Prison Sacramento, recently received an inadequate rating from the California Office of the Inspector General on the overall quality of healthcare it provides. Those ratings are among the factors that help determine when a prison can exit the federal receivership that has managed healthcare in state correctional facilities since 2006. 14 of California's 34 prisons remain in the receivership. 20 of them, including Folsom State Prison, have left the receivership and are managed by the state. California State Prison Sacramento, sometimes referred to as New Folsom, is an all-male prison at 100 Folsom Prison Road. The Inspector General monitored the prison's healthcare delivery between May 2021 and October 2021 and issued the report in October. The report said that the prison's healthcare services scored adequately in three categories, health information management, preventative services, and specialized medical housing. The Inspector General deemed inadequate the following, access to care, diagnostic services, 
emergency services, healthcare environment, transfers, medication management, nursing performance, provider performance, speciality services, and administrative operations. The report said it found one or more instances of expired medical supplies in nine clinics in addition to staff members' personal items and food stored in the supply storage cabinet location, medical supplies stored directly on the floor, and compromised sterile medical supply packaging. Thomas Lee Rutledge, 44, died alone in an Alabama prison cell two years ago, sitting with his face pressed to his window, trying to breathe in cold air as the heat piped into the mental health unit rose to an extreme level and, according to a federal lawsuit, he was literally baked to death in his cell. The federal lawsuit over Rutledge's death alleges prison guards did nothing the night of his death, despite knowing of the extreme heat in the prisoner's cells. Lawyers argue officials at William E. Donaldson Correctional Facility near Birmingham also knew the heating system in the mental health dorm, the T unit, was broken. They knew other men had died from the extreme heat due to a broken heater, and still left the men many on psychotropic medications that made them especially vulnerable to heat, to bake in their cells. According to an updated complaint filed in US District Court two weeks ago, corrections investigator Clark Hopper was on the T unit the night Rutledge died from hypothermia. Hopper opened another inmate's tray indoor to speak with him and, in a recorded interview, the investigator recalled it was like opening an oven and when you are getting something out of the oven it hits you in the face. He said, when he dropped his meal door, it was hotter than three hells when it dropped. The updated complaint spends much of its 58 pages breaking down how the heating system failed and claiming there were many ways in which the problem was ignored, overlooked, made worse or mismanaged by numerous parties, from guards to prison officials to private contractors. Prison Divestment Group Californians United for a Responsible Budget announced that the California Department of Corrections will close the Chuckawalla Valley State Prison in Riverside County by March 2025, as well as end its $32 million lease with the California City Correctional Facility by 2024. Oregon Governor Kate Brown announced that she is commuting the sentences of all of the state's 17 inmates awaiting execution, saying their death sentences will be changed to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Brown, a Democrat with less than a month remaining in office, said she was using her executive clemency powers to commute the sentences and that her order will take effect on Wednesday. Brown has stated, I have long believed that justice is not advanced by taking a life, and the state should not be in the business of executing people, even if a terrible crime placed them in prison. The 
Berks County Immigrant Detention Center in Pennsylvania will close early in the new year. Its closure has been the dream of legions of activists and protesters who have long criticized the facility as barbaric. The federal government informed local leaders that it was ending its contract with the county as of January 31st. ICE officials in Philadelphia said they were gathering information about the closure and would provide details soon. The government may have just finally made the right decision to end immigration detention in Berks County, said lawyer Bridget Cambria, who has long fought for immigrants held there as executive director of ALDIA, the People's Justice Center in Reading. This is a significant win for the shutdown Berks coalition and the direct result of years of committed organizing. This week, we feature interviews on life after lockup from the Kunta Kenyatta files. Kunta Kenyatta uses YouTube to speak to a range of people in Cleveland, Ohio, often featuring videos from the 107 Club, a halfway house and neighborhood hub. He speaks with neighbors, former prisoners, and others, amplifying important voices and preserving memory of key struggles like the Lucasville Uprising. First, we hear him speaking with Mosi Paki about the Lucasville Uprising, and then to his friend Porky, who shares his own personal reflections on his time inside as a young man in the 1960s. Here they are. Yeah, this is Kunta Kenyatta here at Club 107, and I'm here with the brother Mosi Packy. Mosi, let him know where you're from. Well, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised. And tell us a little bit about your coming up. Well, uh, I came up, I'm the oldest of uh, four children by my mother and father. I came up around 32nd and Cedar, then I moved to 39th and Central. And from there, I moved to the Glenville area. Okay. You, you went to school at Glenville? Yes, I did. Okay, graduated from Glenville. Huh? Yes, I did. 1967. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's before I was born. Just a year before I was born. Oh, okay. So where did life take you from there? Well, life took me to the military because uh, they drafted me as soon as I got out of school and uh, to the military. And uh, I left there. Uh, married to my wife, my first mother, I mean the mother of my first child. Okay. And then thereafter I started to uh, drive, commercial driving. Okay. So where you done been? What you done been through in life? Well, uh, I've been, uh, like I said, a commercial driver. Uh, I drove for Waxman, uh, RTA, Gray Bar. And uh, later on in my life, I had an, uh, what they call a robbery. And uh, I got incarcerated from that robbery in 1989. How much time did you do? I did 25 years. Uh, I was sentenced to, uh, originally I copped out with the pro prosecutor to do a deal for five to 25, no guns, no kidnapping. But the judge was uh, a little bit disturbed because I was, I represented myself throughout the whole case. 
and she she uh, convicted me and sentenced me to 15 to 25. So I did the whole 25 mainly because of uh, the Lucasville siege and uh, and also the judge. I don't think she she had she had wrote a letter that they should keep me until I'm too old to think about picking up a gun. <laughs> <laughs> So was you involved with the Lucasville siege? In a sense, I was because uh, when the siege jumped off, I was in the L1, the last block to get opened up. And when it opened up, I, I was retained to the hallway. But uh, throughout the uh, 10 or 11 days, uh, we needed water. So uh, I went around to all the different blocks that I could get in. And we uh, showed them how to break through these showers and get the water out of the shower. And we use that water to drink. But uh, other than that, I was what you call uh, a shadow, mm -hmm. just sitting around in the hallway, trying to stay out the way. Yeah, how did that, that, that go? That had to be, um, you know, a hell of an experience. Yes, it was. You know, Kunta, it, was, uh, it wasn't like when we were there. You know, we could go up and down the hall and this, that, and other thing. You were limited. And uh, if you were in the hallway, you had uh, what you needed to do, your personal things. You would go down to the gym, and you had the bathroom to utilize in there. Uh, but other than that, it was, it, let me, how should I describe it? It was joyful, but it was also a tentative because you don't know if these guys gonna try to break in or what, but it was joyful in the fact that we got this. The L side is our, we control this. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't accuse you of anything? No, oh yes they did. Uh, this is what happened, uh, Kunta. Uh, first of all, they got conviction after conviction. They, they, uh, naturally, they convicted the uh, Lucasville Five first of all and uh, some other guys, but then they started losing cases and they didn't want to lose anything. So they shut it down and they convicted everybody else on uh, RIV charges. And those RIV charges went against your parole. And if you had a uh, max, you do your max. If you had light, you're still in there. So what did they accuse you of? They accused me and uh, 11 others of conspiracy to murder the one guard that was uh, killed. And they found you guilty of that at RIB? Oh, of course, naturally. <laughs> RIB, if you go into RIB, you're guilty before you even go in there, no matter what uh, the incident or the charge is. So what, what the Highway Patrol had to say about that? Brother Kuta, I and 11 others, I'm gonna tell you what happened. When we got transferred to Mansfield from Lucasville, uh, uh, this t legal team came down and advised us of the Fifth Amendment. So I said, if we can exercise our fifth, we can refuse to go in there. He said, that's even better. So we spread the word around. So about uh, 12 of us that didn't, didn't go see anybody. We didn't refuse to go and be interviewed by anyone, you know, because these guys went in there to the interviews and they got uh, played on and saying, okay, if you don't tell us about Hassan, uh, Jason Robb, and this and that, we're going to put you on this case. So, you know, they, they threatened them with all yeah. this old stuff. And then the guys that were involved in, in uh, incidents 
took themselves out and put somebody else in in their in their place, you yeah. know. So other people got charged, you know, wrongly. So me and the other guys, we didn't. So it was, if I believe, if I remember right, it was twelve or nineteen that were charged for conspiracy of murder to the uh, CO. That's RIB conviction. Oh yeah, and the Highway Patrol it what didn't try to pursue that at oh, all. Oh no, the highway it was out of it. Highway. They like I said, Coach, they didn't want to lose any more yeah. cases. And, and they so they some garbage. Yeah, <laughs> right. They put yeah. it down on a lock from RIB. You know how RIB is. Yeah, yeah. Once you go to RIB, you hit. You know. Mm -hmm. You're gonna do whatever they say. And uh as it was, I'm gonna tell you how it was, Coach. <laughs> I was the first group to go to OSP. And open it up as a result of your IB conviction. Of course, yeah. of course, of yeah. course. And they wanted to break us, and uh, we refused to be broken because we weren't going to be the ones that they could uh, utilize to stimulate or, or control how how to control the rest of the guys coming up. You know, mm -hmm. but uh, Kuta, it was eighteen years in uh, OSP. I did eighteen years there in uh, segregation, but. Uh, those 18 years in isolation, I got a lot in common with my mind, my body, and my soul, and with other guys that were uh, solid as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result, uh, my, my good brother, uh, I'm here. <laughs> so what year did you get out? I got out in 2013, November of 19, I mean 2013. Okay. How's life been for you? Oh, coming to uh, <clears throat> brother, it was rough at first. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I caught the bus for six months when I first got out to go in and everywhere, and uh, I finally saved up a little bit of money to buy me uh, a little Ford Ranger, and I put Sanford and Son to shame <laughs> <laughs> because I was hauling around uh, rubbish, not rubbish, but. Uh, old refrigerators, any kind of metal and stuff like that that I could take to the scrapyard. Yeah. And as a result, uh, it was getting me maybe a hundred, maybe three hundred dollars, you know. But uh, I kept doing that until uh, 19, 20, 20, uh, 2015. And I started work at where I'm at now for uh, Midway Delivery Service. Oh, okay. And I've been with them for uh, the last six years. Well, that's good. That's good. The brother Mosey Packer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs>107. We'll have links on our website. Yeah, that's Kuta Kenyatta. I'm down here in Akron, kicking it with my old school partner, Porky. <laughs> Let him know about the city where you're from. Oh, I live in Rubber City. Uh, it was 1962. And you graduated. What school you graduate from? Garfield. Garfield, Garfield High School. Mm -hmm. So... Tell them about how, how it was when you got down there to Mansfield. Oh, when I got down to Mansfield, I had just graduated from uh, from high school. Now, with, with me being 17 years old, 
I never knew not, nothing about no penitentiary and what guys did there. All I knew that I had an uncle that was there. My father's younger brother, he was there. So when I got down there in uh, 1962, I never, the only thing I knew about a prison was what I seen on TV. Now let me tell you something, Mansfield was off the hook. I'm young, didn't have no hair on my face. And it started one day when a coal pile came in there. They're supposed to be the ruthless group of guys that's at that time there. So they had me working in the dining room. I'm collecting trays. So this particular time, when they come in there, one of the guys, they had been down there for years. He threw a, he threw a kiss at me. I'm looking at it, what this dude is doing? So the dude said, man, you better get together. They trying to, you know. I said, what? So I got a pipe. The next day that he came in there, he uh, put his tray down and threw like a kiss at me. And why did he do that? <laughs> why did he do that? I walked up behind him and I piped him. I was beating him with that pipe. And uh, they pulled me off of him. I go to the hole. So like for the, the next day I had to go to court. And it was a lieutenant's, captain's, sergeant's, you know, running the court. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, oh, oh. So you the one that brought down Shashai. He's been a pain in our ass ever since he's been down here. What we're going to tell you to do is you have a good day and try to stay out of trouble. At that time, they didn't do anything to me. So when that happened, my name reigned around the institution like wildfire. Everybody said, did you see that? Did you hear what uh, Eddie Porter's nephew did to Shai? And then after that point, being there it was just it was one for the books because i knew that i had to become a man because i was in a real life jungle a person wouldn't have no understanding what i'm talking about that they never been in that situation more or less the institutions today you're more protected but you weren't protected i was 17 years old mm -hmm. and i survived the belly of the beast i brought all the manhood made me the, made me the man that i am today because I had to learn at a young age to survive. And with that said, I've got out and I did good. I did real good. Then this next thing, uh, this next situation that I was in years and years and years later, where I had to go back. I went back. I don't don't get me don't get me wrong. I, you know I had good jobs and all, and all of that. I see this this when I went back. This guy was fooling with somebody in my family, my sister. And you know any real real man is not going to let nobody mess with his sisters, his mama, or anybody else. So one thing led to another, and I had to mess him up real bad. I did everything but killed him. And uh, I went and did eight years flat, standing on my head with my chest out because I know if I had to do it all over again, I would do it, but I would do it in a different way. And since I've been home, I'm going on four years, I've been home, I'm going on four years now, and my life in peaches and cream. 
because I know I'm a survivor. You know, I have a house, I have a car, I'm, on, I'm, I'm, I'm retired. And man, believe me, man, I had peace of mind. It's just like me being uh, reborn all over again. I see, I get with a lot of my friends. We kick the good, the bad, and ugly around. But I tell anybody, especially these young kids that's out here now, that's doing all, all this crazy wild stuff, you don't have a clue of what you're getting yourself into. Because a lot of times you get there, and it's going to take a hell of a water to get out of there. It's just the way it is. It's the way they got it set up. But like I say, my life, my life has been good. I've settled down. And uh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. See, the way the institutions is, is, uh, is made today, it's not hardcore like it was years ago when I went. You know, you could almost uh, survive. But baby, I, let me tell you the things I seen. Uh, listen, it was a it was a madhouse. Yeah, back when you first went down, they didn't have um, no Lucasville. They had the old OP. Yeah. You know, that was the one where they had sent you yeah, to. Right. right, they had back then. The only thing they had was the OP in Columbus, Ohio, Mansfield in Mansfield, Ohio, and you had another uh, uh, couple federal joints. But this is where everybody went. This is where everybody went to uh, them. And then over the years, they opened up Lucasville. It's maximum security. All the hardcore. If you go to Lucasville, you're doing Buck Rogers time. They know. And then you got some real life rapists, killers. They don't care. And I could tell you some more stories about uh, 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 Lucasville. I have a few people that's been there. They they could tell you the same thing. The only thing I'm mostly uh, I wish my heart would go out to these young boys that's out here doing all this killing, shooting. Hey man, it ain't even worth it, man. Get your life together, get you a job, get you a good woman. If you got some kids, raise your kids. And that, that's what it's all about. No, no. My whole fear when I was locked up was my mother. Mm -hmm. My mother, the one that kept me going because I didn't want nothing to happen to my mother while I was gone. I didn't want nothing to happen to anybody in my family where I was going. And if you don't have family support when you're in situations like that, sometimes you fall by the wayside, like so many guys do. But hey, like, like, like I say, life is good. I'm here. I'm not going nowhere. I don't be out in the streets. I don't have to be no exhibitionist. I don't have to pr prove nothing to nobody. I don't have to do none of that stuff. I'm my own man. You picked up some trades too in there, to, you know. Oh yeah, well I had I had a few trades still, and you know I'm a I'm a licensed barber. I've been doing I've been, I've been cutting hairy since I was 16 and 17 years old, and while while I was away, I just happened to work in the staff barber shop, cutting the COs, nurses, social workers, everybody's here like that, and I just got away with people. I know how to talk to people, I know how to treat people, and that's the main thing is when you're in a situation like that, you have to know how to deal with people. Talk to people. This has been KiteLine. Thank you to everyone who helped with this episode. If you want to support our work, please visit patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. You can also find us on all social media platforms. You can hear our archive of over 300 episodes at kitelineradio.org. 
please reach out if you have a news item we should cover, if you want to volunteer, or just to tell your story. Email us at kiteline at wfhb.org or send us a letter at kiteline, care of WFHB, 108 West 4th Street, Bloomington, Indiana, 47404. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every week for more stories, news, and insights on the prison system. Thank you for listening.